Women in Wellbeing is an Evans Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Marala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eden Center Women and Wellbeing Podcast. This month's Cheshvan Podcast was sponsored by Ellie Mandelbaum and family in memory of Rabbi Abraham, Harav Avraham David Ben Shmuel, and Leona Italea Batsender Mandelbaum, Zuchonam Levracha. Today, we continue to discuss the topic of infertility and pregnancy loss, which we talked about in last month's Tishrei podcast. In particular, after my short Torah thoughts, I'll be interviewing Cheryl Frankel Burnett, who will be sharing her personal struggles and journey. We'll also be joined by the wonderful Dr. Naomi Marmon Grummet, director of the Eden Center. Their friendship and connection brought about the production of the Eden Center's Birkat Emunah booklet, a collection of tefillot, reflections, and guidance to enhance the mikvah experience for women struggling with infertility or pregnancy loss. Please stay tuned. I imagine that one of the numerous challenges of this struggle is how to hold on to hope in a time of suffering. Without taking away from the unique struggle of infertility and pregnancy loss, this is also something that other people going through other types of suffering can relate to. I would like to share a little bit of Torah from the beginning of Masachet Brachot, which I think contains the themes of trying to hold on to hope in the midst of darkness, of mourning and loss, and of yearning for prayers to be answered. The first mission of Brachot, and in fact, all of Shas, begins with the laws of the nighttime Shema. The Talmud itself asks, why begin the Masachet with Shema of the nighttime? Why not start with the daytime? There are simple and good answers provided by the Gemara. One reason given is that this is how the Jewish day is structured. This is how the flow of the day goes. There is evening and then there is morning. According to this verse, the day begins with the evening, and so we start with the nighttime Shema. Yet, when reading through the first few pages of Masachet Brachot, it feels as though there is something more deep and meaningful going on in how this is structured, beginning with the night moving toward the day. The rabbis, the Chachamim, are in a time of crisis. The Mikdash has been destroyed, the source of their connection with God. Brachot, Tractate Brachot, provides a framework for being mindful of the suffering and the loss, and at the same time remaining hopeful that the future will bring better times when we can feel connected once again to Hashem and hope that our tefillah will be answered. One poignant midrash expresses this so well. The Talmud explains that the night is characterized by three ashmurot, three watches, three sections. According to Rabbi Eliezer, these watches, which we have here on earth, are uh, mirrored in the upper world, in the heavens. Rabbi Eliezer says the night consists of three watches and over each and every watch, the Holy One, blessed be he, sits and roars like a lion in pain over the destruction of the temple. On earth, the watches are characterized by signs in this world, says the Gemara. In the first watch, the donkey brays. In the second, the dogs bark. And in the third, people begin to rise. A baby nurses from its mother's breast and a wife converses with her husband. Rav Cook, in his commentary on Brachot, likens these night watches to the galut, the darkness, 
the feeling of hardship and disconnection from Hashem. Yet, the third watch, as the morning, the dawn begins to break, is characterized, the night, the third watch just before the dawn, is characterized by the soft sounds of a nursing mother, of a wife whispering in acts of intimacy with her husband. Like elsewhere in Torah, the image of intimacy, of continuing to try, to hold out for hope, to believe in the future, even when all seems so bleak, is characterized by a woman not giving up on her intimate relationship with her husband, or on her family, or on her dream to have children, and dream for the future. Every woman's experience is unique. Every couple struggling with loss or infertility needs to find their own way. Everyone who is experiencing the feeling of disconnection, of darkness, for whatever reason, may this podcast be a source of strength to keep believing and keep hoping, and may your tefillot be answered. Please join me as next up I will be speaking with Cheryl and Naomi. Chodesh Tov. Cheryl Frankel Burnett made Aliyah from New Jersey 10 years ago and serves as the Director of Programming at Midrash at Lindenbaum. She lives in Jerusalem with her husband Adam and their two beautiful sons and newborn daughter. Dr. Naomi Marmon Grummet is the founder and director of the Eden Center. She received her PhD in sociology from Bar-Ilan University, and her research is the basis on which the Eden Center was founded. Hello again. This month's Eden Center Women in Wellbeing podcast for Cheshvan also coincides with the secular calendar month of October, and October is Infertility Awareness Month. Uh, we're also right after the Hagim, and we're going to see that that these uh, these time periods sort of uh, come together uh, in that um, Hagim are also a difficult time for people who've gone through miscarriage, pregnancy loss, or are struggling with infertility. In my Torah thoughts, I talked about holding on to hope, even during dark and challenging times in our lives, whether it be due to fertility issues or otherwise. I look forward to talking to my guests today, to Cheryl and Naomi, and to Cheryl in particular, to hearing your personal story. Um, I know the fruits of your relationship, Cheryl and Naomi will hopefully, which we'll hear about today, will hopefully bring hope to many couples and women in particular. So thank you, Naomi and Cheryl, for joining me today. Thank you. Cheryl, uh, we'll begin with you. You have had your own personal journey, and Baruch Hashem just celebrated a simchat bat for your baby daughter through surrogacy. Um, Mazal tov. Thank you. Uh, um, please share with us a little about your personal journey. Sure. Um, try and give you a little bit of an abridged version. Um, thank God. Um, as you said, we have... Um, three, ah, whoa, I don't know. I just got totally, okay. You'll have to cut that. I totally, okay. We'll start again. <laughs> um, I'm only on my first cup of coffee of the day. Um, okay. So I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of a brief, uh, version. Um, I, um, had my oldest, uh, son who is now 10, um, natural pregnancy, natural, uh, um, ended up with an emergency C-section, but all like fine. 
um, and um, had some complications after his birth, which subsequently led me to be diagnosed with uh, Asherman syndrome, which is um, a lot of like uterine adhesions and other issues. Um, after a bunch of fertility treatment, I got pregnant, um, but uh, went into sudden labor at 24 weeks um, and gave birth to a baby girl, Emuna, um, for whom Birkat Emuna is kind of named for, um, who um, fought in the NICU for a week and then passed away. Um, and then I started another few years of trying to get pregnant again. Um, had my miracle baby, uh, Ori, um, and then started uh, another few years of uh, like intensive IVF treatment and um, was not able, was told finally that I needed a tachlif rechem, which like somebody basically to a different, different womb. Um, and um, we, our journey led us obviously with many pieces in between to uh, use a gestational surrogate. Um, and our daughter, uh, Rafaela was born this summer um, via gestational surrogate. Wow, wow. Uh, just that short version, I can only imagine um, the pieces in between. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we just, we just were literally the morning after the Chagim, as we say in Israel, Um, I'd like to just take that moment, um, to follow up on this time period and ask you, what is it about the experience for you of the Chagim, which is particularly challenging, um, and for others going through loss or infertility, and perhaps there are other times, um, which you'd like to just to give others support and understanding. Totally. Um, I think that the Chagim are, I think it's a lot of different things, honestly. I think that it is, first of all, the uh, emphasis on family. I think that the, and I think that this is not only for uh, people who are struggling with infertility, but I think anybody who are having issues with family dynamics, anybody, uh, people who are um, like single, people who are just kind of like, people who are having trouble within their marriages, different types of things. I think that the um, literally every other day having to be in that uh, feeling of family, I think is, is hard. Um, and I think that especially the Chagim, which are uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and the truth is Sukkot and Simchas Torah, I think I thought about it even the most when you have uh, like Kol Na'arim and I still, I felt that feeling of like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the emphasis on the, on the children, I think that those who are struggling with uh, infertility um, or loss in specific really feel it. So I think that that's one part of it. And I think that the, meaning the tefillot, it's themselves, like the whole liturgy of Rosh Hashanah and also Yom Kippur a little bit are just based on, um, on our imahot and on the struggle to have children. So uh, it is really an anchana, and so there really is this just kind of you you have this direct connection. It's hard; it's almost impossible, I think, to sit in shul and not and not feel that it is something that is like touching you very strongly. 
Um, and so I think that that is like a big, a big part of it. And I guess the third thing is that for any of us, and this is any struggle in life, uh, they're always markers and there are personal markers for us. Like there are anniversaries, there are specific um, moments in time. I had this appointment, I had this thing, or, oh, it would have been this birthday, or you know what, it's, it's my son's birthday and I'm gonna like think about, or it's a gone party and I, I think about what could have been or what is, or each the year. And I think that also communally, we have different milestones. And so we get like to the end of every year and we're told, all right, what did I do this year, right? Um, we're told me we take like me reshit. We start the year me reshit hashana, and then you get to and you get to acharit shana, right? And beautiful idea. In the beginning, every year we think this is going to be the year. This is going to be my year. I'm going to have that child. I'm going to work on these midot. I'm going to find my other half. I'm gonna be healthier. Um, and then at the end of the year, sometimes we have, we are faced with that. No, you know what? It didn't happen this year. And I think that that's, that's hard. Well, definitely. And to, so, so, so much of what you said resonated and um, to return to the second piece, which is the stories of the Imahot and of Hana. Um, interestingly, we spoke about this a little in last month's podcast as well. These stories on on the other hand, can also be an opportunity to highlight um, the topic of, of infertility and loss and, and um, that, that, that feeling of waiting um, almost endlessly. And even though their stories do end mostly positively, um, perhaps just reading those stories can also be an opportunity to, to bring this out more in our communities. Um, so um, so, so what strength do you derive from, from these stories? Or maybe, maybe you don't, I don't want to make any presuppositions. <laughs> um, but in particular, like, let's start with Tefillat Hana, which we're also going to turn to Naomi for a moment to ask, uh, ask about the inclusion of Tefillat Hana in Birkat Amuna. Um, what does that Tefillah offer you? Um, so I think that that, that Tefillah in specific um, is really embodies um like just how quickly like things can change um i think it embodies and the truth is is that when we read the story we don't just read the tefillah we read the entire story of it and then the entire parak of it and then we end with tefillah chana, right we think oh the haftorah is tefillah chana, but it's really the whole story and i think that um it's like that dichotomy of like pain and hope in the same moment that I think, at least for me, gives a lot of strength. Like I can remember a year that I, it was always very important to me to like be in shul for Tefillah Chana on, on Rosh Hashanah and to hear it. And I remember um, it was when my first son was, it was like actually at the beginning of my struggle with infertility. And my son was probably like two or three and he was like pulling on me and he was all over me. And my husband had promised he was going to come and, and be there in time, but he was late from Ratikin and I was so upset. And then I paused for a second and I was just like, this is what I'm davening for. Like I'm davening that I <laughs> like these two, like on top of me. And it was like a very poignant moment for me. Um, but I think that it is, at least for me in general, I think a source of strength is this reminder that like what is now and what we feel now um, in whatever way is not going to be like forever. Um, and I think that having like 
including both the pain, which I think is just validating, like you think to yourself, if Hannah felt that way, and if Hannah was in so much pain, and, and this is a real struggle, and this is really hard, and it's a little less alone, it's a little less lonely. Um, and so like when you're sitting in shul and you feel like, okay, you know what, like Hannah's sitting next to me. And you know what, all these women who are sitting around me, I think about this a lot, especially in Rosh Hashanah, are like, are everyone has their own thing. Like we all have that like little piece in us or big piece in us that is our struggle in that moment or in general. And like, if we can feel a little less alone. So I think that that is, uh, that is really significant. And I think that if we can hold the like pain and the hope together, which ultimately is what Tfilat Chana is all about, how you can go mm. from being everything to nothing and vice versa. So I think that there's a lot of power in both of those parts. Wow. That is such a powerful expression and comes from such a place of, of your experience. And I really, I so appreciate this. And this is a perfect turning point to turn to Naomi. Um, speaking of you drawing strength from Hannah and feeling that you were not alone. And now what you've done together, the two of you in producing Birkat Emuna has also given an opportunity to other women and couples to not feel alone. So Naomi. And is it okay if I interject what Birkat Emuna is? Um, That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I just preempted. Birkat Emuna is a resource um, that we put together, which supports those who are experiencing infertility or pregnancy loss. It contains tefillot, it contains mindfulness tips, it has a special pullout for husbands, and it has really beautifully written personal accounts, both in poetry and prose, that let women and couples know that they're not alone in this challenging time going through infertility and loss. Um, and there is a special emphasis on the particularly challenging time of mikvah. Um, and I feel like we wanted to put it together because, and this really connects into what Cheryl was saying about Tfilat Hana, sometimes people really feel loss and infertility as this is what I'm going through and I'm all alone in this and I can't talk about it. And this struggle is so overwhelming for me. And when Cheryl originally approached me to, with an idea of could we put something together, I really felt as though, you know, the mikvah is somewhere where we all cry. The mikvah holds the tears of every woman of Am Israel who comes, sorry, you know, <laughs> of all generations and women across time and space. But, um, but it can also give us hope. And as Cheryl was saying, we read Tfilat Chana at our davening, but also when we come, we collect together the Tfilot of modern women with our foremothers, and we say, look, you are not alone. There is a long line of people who have gone through things, and you know we're here to support each other as the community. We're here to support each other as women. Whatever somebody's personal feelings are, whatever they're personally going through. And I, actually, I think it's so interesting that Infertility Awareness Month is in, always in October, which is always right around or right after the Chagim. I don't know who set that calendar, <laughs> but I do think that um, this is a time where people so much feel that. And I think that 
when you are, you know, ensconced in family and ritual all the time. And then you come out after that, after the Chagin, going into Cheshvan and going into the winter can be even more of a time where we feel alone. So Infertility Awareness Month being in that same time, that's the bridge for us in the Jewish calendar of right after the Chagim, where sometimes that is actually the time that you feel most by yourself. So Birkat Emunah is something to take with you, either to the mikvah or in life in general, to say, one second, I am not alone. I There are many others. And to give expression. Because in the infertility journey, I think also one something that really speaks to me about Tilat Chana is the the so emotions from the heart, which Chana says it comes deeply from the heart, but it expresses the longing and the desire and the pain, and then thank God in the end, you know, also the joy. What she's willing to sacrifice um, of being blessed with a child and, and giving him to the service of Am Yisrael, um, which we don't all have to do, but, um, but the expression of so many different emotions together, I think it's okay for everybody who's going through loss, infertility, or any of the other struggles um, that a person can go through in life, not having found their mate, et cetera, et cetera, um, we can have a variety of emotions and it's good to express all of those different things. Um, it's good to express the hope and it's good to uh, express the pain and to recognize and articulate that. And within Birkat Amuna, one of the pieces um, that I like and connect to is a piece of how to mindfully go to the mikvah where you look back and you you know, look at the journey that you've been on and reflect on that and give recognition and thanks and express your pain for that. But then you stop and you say, where am I in the here and now? And okay, I'm here. And, you know, who am I? I'm a whole person. And then you can total with that. And and then you can express as part of this mindful uh, framework, your hopes and your dreams for the future, which you invite Hashem to meet you in that. Um, and I think that that's a beautiful way of tying it together. So I definitely invite, Birkat Emunah has versions in Hebrew. It was published in England. Um, we're about to launch it in Australia, which we're extremely excited about. And each version has additions that women in that country wrote. I think is so beautiful. And we're hoping we're looking for a sponsor for um, putting out Birkat Emuna in South Africa. So maybe somebody knows somebody. There are women, I, I think that really ties in with the whole mikvah piece of women around the world using the mikvah and it connecting us that this is also something that women around the world, Jewish women around the world, we hope will use as a resource for themselves. And I want to take this opportunity to thank both of you for Birkat Amuna. I had um, I was uh, approached by a woman um, this past year whose daughter had experienced pregnancy loss, and, um, and she didn't even know about my association with Eden, and that Eden had been working on this topic. And the, when I, I was able to send her a copy of Birkat Amuna, and it's just so incredible to be able to. So often we feel very. Um, 
helpless in trying to be there for others who are going through an experience. And I think it really meant a lot to her that she could um, have such an incredibly supportive and um, almost like a giant, sending a giant hug across the sea. Uh, so thank you. So so I now want to turn to both of you and um, and ask you to talk a little bit more of the story of how this, this Birkat Amunah project came to be. I understand that um, this idea, uh, this, this was originally Cheryl's idea, you managed to um, to turn mourning into meaning. Uh, so I'd love to hear a little bit about how, how that story progressed and um, please share with us, Cheryl. Uh, sure. So I think that uh, for me, again, like after, um, after like our loss, I kind of, that first time I went to the mikvah was like a very uh, difficult experience for me. I think that um, in general, the mikvah is kind of that moment of, um, it's kind of like that moment of like confronting ourselves and like, there's nothing between, there's nothing, there's nothing protecting us. Um, and I think that the loss was extremely stark. I think also on a physical level, right? You think to yourself, oh, okay, like I, like was supposed to be holding a baby now and not, and, or be pregnant and not be in the mikvah. And now all of a sudden I'm in the mikvah and it kind of, it's very stark, uh, very stark highlights. Um, and I think that I, um, I don't know, I guess I was like maybe even perusing all these like little, all those like little packets in the mikvah, right? Looking for some sort of, uh, of and I think um, I, and I did some Googling and I was like, wanted to see what was out there. And I felt like there was not so much out there really for like our community, meaning like I am very much somebody who's rooted in, in tradition and in Tanakh text and in Chazal's text and finds a lot of comfort for that. And also like a very like rooted in like modern psychological thinking. Um, and I felt like there was really um, nothing that kind of put them together. Um, and I was like, I, I would like something as Naomi said that people could just have to, to guide them and go with them. And for people to really ultimately just, I guess my two goals in it, number one were for people to just not like feel a little less alone. Um, both like in the, as we said before, like in the Tanakh sense and also in the personal sense, the interpersonal stories and realizing that you, um, like I think in this, like um, it's kind of, I envision for myself even, uh, like it's like when you go into the mikvah, it's literally like the tears sometimes I would think of like all of the women, right? That came before you. I'm like, that's so powerful. Um, and so that's the first thing. And I think the second thing was really also to give people permission to like think and feel whatever it was that they were feeling. I think that like, there's no, um, wasn't like no motive to sugarcoat anything, no motive to say, oh, like you feel better now, or you have to have hope, or you have to have this, but kind of, uh, like to validate all of the feelings that go along with it um, and that they change all the time. Um, and the truth is, is that like even the mikvah itself and the imagery of the mikvah itself that Chazal gives to us is that, right? Like some places in Chazal, the mikvah is referred to as the rechem compared to the rechem. And in some points it's referred to as the kever. Um, so to have this, this thing that is referred to both 
as the womb and as a burial spot. Like, and when you think of like somebody who is trying to bring life into the world or has just suffered from a loss, there's nothing more powerful than that because that's essentially in that one moment, what we're doing. We are like, it's like that birth and reborn again. And it's, it's really, for me, like, I guess it was that moment that represented the greater like conflict of emotions. Um, and I wanted to really like, I guess, I mean, I guess at the beginning I did it mostly for myself. Um, and then I guess like felt like, okay, I want people, I want to be able to do this. And I um, like had taken a few courses with Eden and I like knew Naomi kind of from around the neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. And I called her up and I was like, I have this idea. What do you think? And she was just like, yeah. And honestly, it's become like so much more than I were already like in the second, third, fourth edition. And I, it's something that I really feel like uh, has, like really has an impact for people. People ask me for it all the time. Incredible. It's, it's really an incredible uh, thing. And we're so grateful. Um, I'd like to take a moment. Oh, sorry. Naomi wants to add something. Okay. If I, add <laughs> I think that one of the things that I've always been struck with is the paradox of fertility on the one hand being such a public thing and knowing kids and seeing that you're pregnant and yet you don't talk about um, the aspect of loss and we don't talk about being pregnant until a certain point and oftentimes this one aspect which is so difficult is the aspect that is so private and is so hidden and is so in some ways taboo and um, so when Cheryl came and said, can we make something that gives expression to this? The, the reason that I said yes is because it, exactly taking it from, it's not just you, right? Here we are together and we need some way often to express what is not expressed publicly. Um, when we have a baby, everybody brings us food. When we have a loss, nobody, I mean, there are now Baruch Hashem organizations that do, but nobody knows we're in it. And, and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones going through it. Again, it connects to what we've said before, but that's why I think this is such a powerful um, bringing mourning to meaning is, is not just um, a personal uh, transformation it's a transformation as part of the community where we want to hold the rest of the people who are going through it and say there is room for this yes. and i think maybe this connects into what you're going to ask um but um for me one of the important things the latest edition of Birkat Amuna includes a, a pullout for husbands because um losses not something that we do go through just as women. Loss, the process of infertility and loss happens to a couple and a family. Um, and really, we added to Birkat Emuna a section for husbands thinking about how can you go through this together? And each member of the couple are going to feel different things. And they're going to be tugged in different ways and they're going to both have conflicting emotions and they may not be feeling those emotions at the same time. Yes. And there's space for that and legitimacy for that also. And it's really important to give your partner 
the support and the space that they need as well. And I think um, coming from the Eden Mikvah perspective, that Mikvah night can often be an especially difficult time, especially after loss or when one is going through infertility, because there are a lot of unstated expectations around Mikvah night. And you know, oftentimes for people in the infertility and fertility parsha, um, there's, there's a lot of tension around intimacy in general. Are we doing it? Is it goal oriented? Is it couple oriented? Is it about becoming closer? Is it about reaching our desired um, objective? And are we successful? Are we failing? Et cetera, et cetera. Are we allowed to have relations now because the doctor said this is not a good time. When you're going through the process of fertility, there's so many people who are watching your intimacy. And mikvah just adds a whole nother layer. So, um, so with that in mind, it's so important to have a piece in Birkhat Emunan, something that Cheryl brought to the table, which I thought was so beautiful, was um, that we included also a tefillah for the husband to say for the couple's fertility. Specifically, it's included so that he can say that at the time of um, going, when his wife goes to the mikvah. But, you know, a man can say a tefillah for the couple's fertility at any time that he wants to. And because it's included, it's a resource that you can say. And I think that um, something that we often don't talk about um, is, you know, a couple being kind to each other and communicating well about what their needs are, both emotionally, but also in terms of the intimacy that they need. And having a little bit of guidance can be helpful. So I think that's another beautiful piece that that's been brought in about couplehood. Yes, thank you, Naomi. And if it's okay, I'd like to ask Cheryl just to say a few brief words about um, uh, her, her, her husband's experience in particular, and, um, what advice you might have for couples, for husbands, for couples. It's such an important, um, I think it's such an important question because, uh, not a question, I think it's such an important issue because I think that my husband and I talk about this a lot, mostly because we feel really fortunate, but I think that um, experiences, challenges in general, things like infertility, things like loss, definitely have like the power to either like bring a couple closer or um, like um, bring them apart. Um, and I think that one of the things that's so interesting is that couples like really, not only do men and women and different individuals deal with things differently and have different coping mechanisms and have different things that help them. But also every person who's like on their journey, also the timing is sometimes very different. So like, um, and, and being ready and having different ways that you want to process it. Like there was a year, the year right after um, we lost our baby, my husband actually wrote um, a piece, um, a very powerful piece about um, loss. And I freaked out and I was like, you are not publishing this nowhere. I am not, I am not ready. I am not there. Um, and like, he didn't, like, he didn't even think like, oh, I should 
like talk to Cheryl, see if she's cool with this. Um, because for him, it was such an important part of his healing. Um, we waited a year um, and then I, I was more ready. Um, but I think that it's just, it's so important to constantly be in dialogue with your spouse about like how you guys are, are feeling about it. And I think that specifically with fertility, um, I think that the men oftentimes feel like, um, like kind of like helpless and like, what can I do? How can I help? Because it is like a lot of, almost a lot of parts on the, I'm a woman just physically um and there are more than one moments when you're just like oh gosh like it's just not fair like why does it all have to be on me um and so I think like it's important but there are still but even though it's not physically on them doesn't mean that there are not things that are hard for them about it um so I think that that is definitely important like not being on the same page in terms of what you need, but being on the same page in terms of communicating what you need and when you need it. Um, and the openness, I think, to realizing that it's not the same and that like the timing is really different um, and that different people are the same way different, like people are triggered by different things. So like for one member of the couple like McFinite may be a big deal and the other one it may not be a big deal at all and for some of them like um going for uh like doctor's appointment may be a big deal and for the other one not and that actually could be for both like on both sides you know um like there have been times that I was like surprised by things that like were hard for my husband because I was like oh yeah it's not a big deal for me um and vice versa um, and so I think that like that's just knowing that that's like real I think is is important. I was just going to say that I would like to share um, Adam's piece. We'll, we'll attach it because it is so powerful and opening your eyes to really, when I say that two members of the couple are going through something, you know, even the emotional holding and when Adam describes his falling apart after, you know, after having Imuna, like, when is it my turn, Lahit Parekh? Right. which he describes so poignantly. That right. is a really important piece of knowing how to support each other also to understand that that happens on both. And Cheryl, I just want to give another example as Cheryl was saying, you know, there could be so many different things. Um, you know, asking friends to be kvaterim mm-hmm. can be very triggering for people. And it's mm-hmm. such a sensitive thing because on the one hand in the community context we want to allow um, people to be involved and to say we see you and on the other hand that can be such a hard piece for either the man or the woman yes yes so I guess two things um the first one is like we said before is that um we can hold lots of emotions at once I think that um and this even like personally hope is sometimes a very scary thing. Um, and I think that being able to allow ourselves to be hopeful and also sad, mad, angry, um, resentful, sometimes frustrated at the same time is okay, which I guess ties into the fact that like, we just have to be like kind to ourselves and not judge. I think anyone who's going through a struggle, it's easy to say I could do better, I could do differently, etc. When really, 
um, we like there, there's no right answers, right? There's no like right way, right way to do things. And these are things that are, are really hard um, and things that have no rule book. And um, like you said, I think that it's less about each, it's less about like making a, like a sweeping statement that like people who are dealing with all those different things that you delineated, like need a formula, because I think that it's more about that each individual person, whether they're dealing with fertility or mental illness or, um, or physical illness or different things, each person is on their own journey and each person has their own things that work for them. Um, and there's no, to get rid of like the guilt and the pressure that comes with like feeling with that, like, oh, this per this works for this person. Why isn't it working for me? This, etc. I think is like a really big thing. And the other thing is just to kind of, um, like, I think the other thing is for us to all just kind of be kinder people, because I think that, um, I think that the Naomi Shemer was a wise woman when she said, Anashim tovim haderech, um, in the middle of the journey, <laughs> middle of the journey for me represents like, when you're like in the throes of the hardest part, and like, it's those people who are kind to you, like, you can have a nurse, you can be getting bad news, but have a really nice nurse and the experience is okay. And you can be having good news and the people are nasty and it's a terrible experience. And I think that like, that is also such an important thing that we should look around, we should strive to be those like Anashim Tobim Be'em Tahaderech. And when we're like stuck in the throes of things, we should also look for those like Anashim Tobim around us because I, when it could be the nurse, it could be the kupait at the supermarket, you know? Um, but I really think that it like, those things really have the potential to make a difference. Such a beautiful way to close. And I, you know, I see that that last thought as really like having so much resonance here in this three-part interview where thanks to you and you're jumping in and working with Naomi and Naomi's incredible um, uh, commitment uh, to, to bringing out support for others. Um, hopefully at Zen Center and you can provide that um, Ezra, that help Be'emta, be the Anashim Tovim, the Nashim Tovim, <laughs> Tovot, Be'emta Haderech. Um, and so thank you both for joining me. And we, um, we pray that everyone one's uh, tefillot and well-being is is answered and um, that everyone's dreams should come true. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedincenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating Share this podcast on social media and encourage others to subscribe.